God's people said, amen. I, I know you can do better than that because surely there are more than one reason for you to praise the Lord for his goodness. Let's try that again. All God's people said, amen. The Lord has been good to us. I want you to take your Bible today and turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, and while you do, I want to talk about the church. More specifically, I want to talk about Churchville. Churchville is a, a small town that is it's hardly... It's hardly big enough to find on Google. That's how small it is. In 1854, a gentleman, a pastor by the name of John Churchman, founded Churchville. That's all true. I'm not making this up. John Churchman founded Churchville. At one time, they boasted of having a grocery store, uh, a stable. They had two stop signs, and they didn't have much else other than about two dozen houses. Very, very small town. They did, however, have two churches in Churchville, one Lutheran and one Catholic. But it seems things have gotten a little thin in Churchville. The uh, Lutheran church closed down some time ago. And recently, in 2014, the Catholic church got a call from the, di uh, from the bishop over in Des Moines. And he said, there's not enough people to sponsor the church. We're going to close down the Catholic church. So now... Churchville finds itself, well, churchless. They don't have a church. And while that story, which is very true, why that story is sad, what is more sad is that, that that is somewhat symptomatic of what is going on in our nation. We see churches closing everywhere. For many years, I have been studying churches. More specifically, I've been studying why do churches decline and close their doors? I've been asking the hard questions. One, why do once vibrant churches decline into complete irrelevance or completely go out of business? Or two, why is it that God seems to bless a particular church in an area while other churches seem to flounder? The culprit? Some would say, well, it's leadership. Or programming. Some would say it is doctrine, personality, tradition, legalism, liberalism. You can go on and on. Structure, community, calamity. The fact of the matter is it's probably a combination of factors. There's probably not a, a way where you can look at one thing and say, well, this church declined because this happened or this happened. But it may have been a whole series of factors that come together. In the Revelation, you find seven churches. Chapter 2 and chapter 3, seven churches. It's interesting of the seven churches, those that are growing usually had something negative associated with them. The church at Ephesus would have been the church everybody would have gone to. Had all kinds of good things happening. But the Lord looked at the church. He looked inside the church and he said, you know, he said, I've got one thing against you. You've left your first love. And then you've got a little church called Sardis down there. And that church... Um, seems to be doing well, and Jesus says, you've got a name that you're alive, but I put my hand on the pulse, you're dead. you got this little church at Philadelphia. They're struggling. They're weak is what the, Jesus said to them. They're weak, but they're faithful. They're just faithful. And the Lord says to that little faithful church, because you have been faithful, and whatever I gave you, he said, I'm going to open a great door to you. I'm going to create opportunity for you that did not exist and will not exist elsewhere because you have been faithful. 
All these things ruminate in my head from time to time when I think about the church. Because I don't think there are always easy answers, but I want to return back to this question. Why does the Lord seem to bless some churches while others seem to struggle? Why many are becoming statistics? Why? At the risk of sounding very simplistic, I want to offer this this rationale. That God blesses the churches who are willing to do what he blesses. I want you to hear that again because I think it's critical to everything I'm about to say. God blesses the churches that do the things that God blesses. In different words, if the church is sidetracked on a thousand things that aren't the thing that God said they're supposed to be doing, it's no wonder that they'll go downhill over time. It doesn't matter how robust, how big the church is, every church can close her doors. Years ago, I was at Crystal Bible College in Dallas, and I attended the Gaston Avenue Baptist Church for a Christmas program. It was a colossal building, enormous building. You could have put all the gym inside this auditorium. It was a huge auditorium. There are about 20 people in the choir loft doing the Christmas program, and about maybe 75 of us out sitting in that enormous cavernous auditorium. In two years, they closed their doors. At once, they were the thing. They were thriving. They had literally thousands of worshipers. The budget never struggled. They had people with PhDs doing the preaching. They were the church in that area. Today, their property belongs to a Christian college, and there is no church there. But down the road, there's another church. Why that church? Why not this church? Some of that lies in the mind of God, and I can't enter there except to say this, that God seems to bless the churches who are willing to do what it takes to be blessed by him. And I want to illustrate that truth through a parable. If you will find Matthew chapter 24, this this is the teaching of Jesus about the second coming. It's the second chapter of the Olivet Discourse. You notice if you have a red letter edition, this is all red letter. The Lord has been making one primary statement about his second coming. There are lots of details, but one primary statement. He says this to the church, be alert because you don't know when I'm going to return. Look back to chapter 24 and drop down, if you will, to verse 42, because it's a summary statement. Therefore, be alert, be alert, since you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Now, go into chapter 25. There's another summary statement. Therefore, be alert because you don't know either the day or the hour. That's the whole point of it. We don't know when the Lord's going to return. We know he's going to return. We're supposed to live a certain way in light of of his return. And for the church, for the church, we have some instruction on that as we read this parable. Picking up at verse 14. For it is just like a man going on a journey... He called his own slaves, and he turned over his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, one. To each according to his own ability. And he went on a journey. Immediately the man who had received the five talents went, put them to work, and earned five more. In the same way the man with with two earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, 
and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of the house, uh, the master of those servants came and he settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents and said, Master, you gave me five talents. Look, I have earned five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Then the man with two talents also approached. He said, Master, you gave me two talents. Look, I've earned two more talents. His master said to to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Then the man who had received one talent also approached, and he said, Master, I know you. You're a difficult man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid, and it went off, and I hid your talent in the ground. Look, I have what is yours. But the master replied to him, You evil, lazy servant, If you knew that I reaped where I haven't sown and gathered where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers. Then, when I returned, I would have received my money back with interest. What a great story. Couched in this teaching about the coming of the Lord, there are several things here that I believe, if you study the New Testament, will help us to understand what God intends for his church so that the church can move from indifference to blessing. How can the church get to the place where we're doing what God blesses? That's what I want to look at. The first thing I want you to remember as you notice reading the story is that God has entrusted his blessings and his gifts to us. It says down at verse 24, or verse 14 rather, he turned over his possessions to them. The parable reveals that upon the departure of Jesus from this world that Jesus gave to his followers, that would be his church, He gave to those who name his name his great possession. He gave to us certain gifts, certain blessings that we are supposed to handle while he is gone. Let me give you four that the New Testament point out. The first one comes from 1 Peter 4.10. It says, As every man hath received your gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. To say it differently, one of the things that God has given to us is the manifold grace of God, and we are told we're to be stewards of that. Now, what does that mean? It means that God has given you, me, every one of us, some kind of a gift, he says. He said, I gave you a gift, and you are to use that gift in some fashion as you express the grace of God in a multitude of ways. Sometimes the way that you express the grace of God is by helping someone that's going through a hard time. Sometimes you do that by giving to those who are needy. Sometimes you do it by teaching the class. Whatever your gift is, God said that I have enabled you to do a thing for the grace of God. Somehow every person was entrusted with something. You have received some Get. Now, the second thing God said I gave to you is the ministry of reconciliation. I love this. In, in 2 Corinthians 5.18, he said, All things are of God, 
who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and given to us this ministry of reconciliation. He says it point blank. I've given to you the ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean? It means this. The world is at an enmity with God. They're away from God. The world does not know God. In fact, we even know that they're in darkness and apart from God intervening, there's no way they're even going to be able to come to him. So God is trying to draw people to himself. What's interesting is the way that the Apostle Paul says this, he said, if you have been reconciled to God, that's me, that's you, those who are saved, if you have made a friendship with God through the blood of Jesus Christ, he said, you have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Different words, whatever you have received, that's what you're supposed to give. If you are a Christian, God has entrusted you to give back what you received. You have the ministry of reconciliation. Somebody said it like this, that sharing your faith is really like a hungry person just telling another hungry person where they can find food. If you have received this good grace of God, then surely this thing that is so wonderful that it changed your destiny and your daily life, if it is so wonderful, surely you need to be giving it away to somebody else, all right? So he's given us the manifold grace of God. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. Let me give you a third thing. In Second Corinthians, pardon me, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, it says that God has entrusted to us the mysteries of God. Listen to this. Let no man account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Now, that word steward does not mean you own it. It means that you are supposed to be using it harkens back to this very parable that we're looking at. You and I have been entrusted with the mysteries of God. You may say, well, what does that mean? What are the mysteries of God? The Apostle Paul said that God has made known the mystery of Christ, that we are sinners, that Christ came into the world to die for sinners, and that we now can have this good news, this story of Christ, to take to the world. The mystery of God is that God... I'm going to quote now, has been reconciling us to himself. That's the mystery. That God said, yes, you couldn't get to heaven. I've been doing everything you need to know. I want you to come to me, and I want you to have Jesus Christ. You are a steward of the mysteries of God. Let me give this last thing, and this is in 1 Corinthians 16, 9. I see it again over in the Revelation dealing with the church at Philadelphia. He said, a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. Well, God is actively working in the hearts of people all around us. Has it dawned on you yet that part of what God is doing is putting you where he's working? He's putting you wherever he's working. You say, well, Brother Jerry, I go to church so I can learn about God, hear about God, and pretty much i got my life wherever I go. Well, not really. Wherever God has placed you in this world, whatever your job is, where your home is, the people that you know, God has given you an opportunity right there to serve him and to make a difference in our world. Now, I've said all that to say this, that when Jesus left, Jesus entrusted us with this. Somebody said that there was a conversation after Jesus returned back to heaven about how the gospel was going to get out, how the good news, our story was going to spread. And apparently they asked Jesus 
And Jesus said, well, I left the story with 12 men down there on earth. And then one of them betrayed me, so now it's down to 11. And the angel said, that's your plan? That's your plan? Yeah. Well, what if they don't do it? He said, that's my only plan. That's what I want you to understand. You are God's plan. I want you to notice this. He didn't say, he didn't say that the preachers had been entrusted with all this ministry. He said the church has been entrusted with it, the people of God. Remember this, that God has entrusted us with his blessings. The second thing I noticed from the parable and other places is simply this, that God enables his people then to carry out that assignment. God entrusts the assignment to us, and then God enables us to carry out the assignment. Look down at verse 15. He said, he gave to each person according to his ability. God has not entrusted us to do something that is greater than our ability to accomplish it. God has not given us an assignment that we cannot do. I want you to think about how cruel God would be if God said, all right, I want my church to take the gospel to the world and I know they'll never be able to do it. How cruel would God have been? God not only gave us the assignment, but God enables us. He knows what our abilities are. He knows what they are personally and corporately. And I want you to listen really close here. It's my conviction on the church level. As we think about what God has asked us to do, it's my conviction that every church has inside of it every gift it needs to do what God assigned it to do. I want you to hear that again. Every church has inside of it every gift that it needs to do whatever God has assigned that church. Some churches may have a different kind of ministry. They may have a broader ministry. But I know this, that you and I need to ask, what's the capacity of this church based off the accumulation of individual abilities if every one of them was surrendered to God? What could we do right here at Glendale Church if every one of us said, God, here's my gifts, here's my talent. I'm going to use all of these for your glory. What is our capacity if we accumulated all those gifts, you might be surprised. You might be surprised that if we were to do together what we could do together, that we could reach a lot more people with the gospel. And would God bless that? Would God bless a people who, be, who are obedient using the gifts that he gave them to do the things he gave them to do? That's the whole premise of the sermon that God blesses the churches that are doing the things that God blesses. In different words, if most of us are not doing anything, how in the world can we say, God, now bless our inactivity? Why would we say that? God, I'm not going to do anything, but I'll go down there and I'll sit in church on Sunday and I'm not going to serve any, any real meaningful way. I'm not going to get in a group and I'm not going to take a task. God, now bless that. How in the world would God bless that? Why in the world would God bless that? God blesses that which he blesses. So God's empowered us. God has put in this church people with leadership gifts, people with administrative gifts, people with caring gifts, evangelistic gifts, equipping gifts, teaching gifts. God's put all that is needed for this to be blessed greatly in the building. 
It's never a question of if God has brought the people that should be here. You're not here by accident. God has enabled you to do his work. Let me give you a third thing I see from the text, that God expects his people to wisely utilize our gifts. God expects it. So God has, he's entrusted these gifts to us, his blessings to us. He's enabled us to do whatever it is he wants us to do. Now God expects us to do the things that he blesses. I love this word down in verse 16. Immediately the man put them to work. I love the word immediate because it speaks about the present. I have people tell me all the time, Brother Jerry, I think out in the future someday I'm going to do this for God. May I humbly submit to you that the future is now. Whatever you're going to do for God, you must do now. You may say, well, when I know more Bible, then I'll teach a class. Or when I can, when I can have more skill, I'll do this thing. Well, I'm not opposed to preparation. I believe that's important. I would also say that usually the best preparation is on-task on training. God expects us to be doing it right now. What does God want you to be doing right now? Here's the answer. Whatever he entrusted you to do. (laughs) What does God want you to be doing right now? Whatever he entrusted you to do. If he gave you gifts to teach, gifts to preach, gifts to serve, gifts to do whatever, that's what he wants you to do right now. If you're not doing that, then we're walking in disobedience. God gives the opportunity, but opportunity demands action. If there's inaction, God may remove the opportunity. In short, God expects us to act upon the opportunities that he places before us. Somebody said, somebody wisely said that a man will make more opportunities than he finds. That is, if you're waiting for God to do something miraculous like right on the wall, Jerry, go do this, that's probably not going to happen. But if I'll just use the gifts that I have And I'll go where I'm supposed to go and serve as I'm supposed to serve. I'll find lots of opportunities. I also find it interesting that those who are busy serving find more opportunities. When you're busy doing what God has assigned you to do, the opportunities just seem to present themselves. Several years ago, I started working in Haiti. And uh, it was after the earthquake in 2010, went back to work, and I fell in love with the people there and had the privilege of going a number of times. And uh, in 2019, I made my final trip there. Um, We put in a well, we put in a church building, and now there's a school there and all that. It's my final church mission trip there. It was not intended to be so. Uh, Two months after we were gone, the United Nations pulled out of Haiti, and Haiti descended literally into chaos. Today, a city the size of Louisville, Port-au-Prince now is run generally by the gangs. It's unsafe for an American to be there. The moment you show up, if you look like me, then you're a target for kidnapping and ransom. I haven't been able to go back. I've called friends on the ground multiple times, and they simply say, Jerry, you can't come back anymore. So I had been following something else that God had put in my heart for years, and that was to go to Cuba. Eight years prior to going down to Haiti, God had opened an opportunity. I passed it up, and I didn't go, and God kept that in my heart. And so out of the blue, an opportunity presented itself to go to Cuba. And so I went to Cuba, and we started work, and then COVID hit and had to stop going to Cuba. I thought, well, I don't know if I'll get back or not. I did get back eventually. We went last summer. 
The fact of the matter is, during that time, I started finding out about some of the work down in the DR that were working with Jen Kubosh and other things. And the interesting thing is that while I was trying to get back to Haiti, while I was working in Cuba and finding out about the DR, somebody called me out of the blue and said, hey, if you, uh, if you can get together a team, uh, we're trying to build a mission house on the border between the DR and the Haiti. The Cubans are going to build it if you will come and help us. I want you to just process all that for just a moment. That if you're willing to serve wherever God wants you to serve, the opportunities will keep multiplying themselves. You're just supposed to be faithful to the thing that God gives you to do. God expects you to do the thing God told you to do. God entrusted his blessings to us. God enabled us to do the work that he gave us. He expects us to do it. Now, here's the final thing I noticed from this text is that God evaluates his people in time. Go down to verse 19. The master came back. That's allusion to Jesus coming back, right? The master came back and he settled accounts. He came back and he settled accounts. You know, our Lord has tarried. I don't know when the Lord's coming. I know there are lots of different views about that, and I don't want to get into that. Somebody said that they're a pan, a pan millennialist and and what that really means is however it pans out, it's going to be fine with me. And that's how I feel about it. I have strong views about when he's coming back. If you want to know those, I'll tell you later. But I can say this. He's coming back. He's coming back. Until such time as he comes back, I'm to work for him using the gifts I have, and you are to do the same. I can say this. So when he gets back, either by my death or his return, when that occurs, there's going to be an accounting day. There's going to be an evaluation day. Let me tell you the five things I know for sure, five things I know for sure that will become apparent on that day. Number one, the things he entrusted to me. On that day when I have to give an account, it's, Jerry, here's your five, or here's your two, or here's your one. Whatever he entrusted to me will become apparent. I'll know for sure. You probably already know what he's going to do. The second thing is the ways that I unify, utilize my talents or whatever he's entrusted to me, that will also be known. Do what he says. He had five, he made five. He had two, he made two. He had one, he used it for himself or didn't use it at all, and he made none. Different words, the ways that I use the gifts, the opportunities that God gives me will be known. I'm going to be evaluated on what I could have done. You say, well, I think, I think I'll be evaluated on what I did. Well, you will. And what you could have done. That's what the text teaches. Here's the third thing. I'll be evaluated on the excuses that I offered. This fellow down here that had the one town said, I was afraid, fear. I buried it. I was indifferent. I was too busy. I had doubt. I didn't think I was able. And on and on he went. Whatever excuse it is that you made for not doing the thing that God entrusted to you, that will all be made clear one day. Because sometimes God's going to say to you, well, what did you do with the talent I gave you? It's going to be crystal clear in that moment. What did you do with the gifts that I gave you? I can imagine that. You know, when I was little and I got in trouble, I remember my dad asking a question that I hated. I just hated it. Well, why'd you do that, Jerry? I mean, what do you say? Well, because I was trying to be rebellious, Dad. No, you don't say that. I'm about to get a whipping. <laughs> I don't want to add fuel to the fire. 
Well, why did you do that? Well, because I'm ignorant. Well, because I was lazy. To be honest, Dad, I just didn't want to do it. How's that going to ring in front of the God of the cosmos? I said you could do it. I asked you to do it. I enabled you to do it. Why didn't you do it? It's all going to be told then. Number four, the loss of opportunity that God extended to someone else who was willing. This guy who had the one talent, isn't it interesting that later that talent is given to somebody else, but he lost his opportunity. That opportunity will be lost. Number five, the faithfulness that you exhibited will also be known. He said to him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest or enter into my joy. In the day of accounting, your faithfulness your faithfulness will be known. Now, the story of Glendale Church is an interesting story. I wish I had made the graph. I have the graph at home. I wish I had brought the graph with me. When I attended Glendale in the mid-'70s, we were running about six to 700 people Sunday after Sunday. The church was booming. Some of you remember that. We were bringing in loads of people on the buses. I was one of them. I got saved because of a bus ministry. And God was just blessing. We started the Christian school, and the Christian school blossomed, and so many wonderful things were happening. Over time, and I don't blame anybody, over time, things began to deteriorate. A few this year, a few the next year, a few more the year after that. And after 30, year, 30 years of a few this year and a few next year, you've gone down to a handful. Just two or three years ago, it was under 50. I want you to just think about that. Glendale was very much on her way to becoming a statistic, just like Gaston Avenue Baptist Church. So why is it that God is blessing now? Why? Because God blesses the things he blesses. When you're doing, when we are doing the things that God has said, if you'll do that, I'll bless you, then all of a sudden God begins to bless. Do not think for one moment that God is finished here. I often ask the question, why did God give Glenda this 16 acres? Why not two acres or four acres? Why did God give this beautiful campus to Glendale Church? Could it be because in the mind of God, God knew that the ministry of, of Glendale Church is supposed to expand to such a degree that this will barely be enough space back here? That's how I think. And if you're not thinking like that, you're not thinking right. I don't believe God's done. I think he's restarting. How many times I heard the pastor say that? We're going to have a relaunch. <laughs> well, we've relaunched. All I'm saying is this. We must be faithful to the task that God has given us. If we ever drift from that, dear friends, we will become a byword in the community. It starts by understanding God entrusted his gifts toward us. God has empowered us to do the work he's given us. God expects us to do it, and one day we're going to give an account for it. We're going to give an account for it. I read a very interesting story by Daryl Grimes. He tells of a young friend that was in high school, and he had a lot of promise to go play college football, and he got caught up on cocaine. Once that happened, it ruined his football career, and he devolved into all kinds of other vices, and his life spiraled out of control. He spent 20 years captive to this sin and to that sin. He struggled with alcohol and drugs. Family life was non-existent. 
finally he decides that he wants to start giving back. His life starts to straighten out a little bit. He's breaking some of those chains. He gets involved in T-ball of all things. T-ball is little kid baseball. You know what that is. He started to coach a T-ball team, and, and as he's doing that, he's getting reconnected to people for the first time in a real way. But he really doesn't know what to do with his life, and he's still got baggage. He just can't seem to shake some of it. One day he goes down to a certain group of people and they're supposed to be his friends and they didn't want to have anything to do with him. So he decided, well, maybe I'll try the church. I'll go down to the church. and The church will welcome me and they'll receive me and, and they'll help me with my problem. He came into to a Baptist church. He walked in, not one person greeted him at the door. Not one person talked to him in the building. Not one person greeted him before he got out of the building. He walked out and said, you know, the world doesn't want me and the church doesn't want me either. How in the world can that happen? He said, I'm going to give it another chance. He went to a different church. This church was exciting. They were doing all kinds of weird things and running up and down the aisles and shouting and screaming and doing all kinds of stuff. And he said, no, this is not for me. I just... So he decided the church is not the answer. The church is not the answer. I got problems. I don't know where to go with my problems. The church is not the answer. He'd already decided at the end of the T-ball season he was going to go behind the dugout and snuff out his own life. He was talking to some grandma that had brought her young kid down to play t-ball, and that grandmother said, hey, on Sunday, I'd love for you to come visit me down at my church. She didn't know anything about his life. She didn't know he wasn't good church material. She just said, hey, I want to invite you to come down to my church. And when, when this little girl that was near her heard that, she said, no, you need to come down to my church. And she told her the name of the church and everything. And Sunday came, he thought, I want to go to the grandma's church, but I can't remember, but I remember the little girl the little girl's church. And he got in his car and went down to that church. When he came in, virtually every man, men, listen, virtually every man went to that man and shook his hand and welcomed him. Later that week, two men got in their car, went down to his house, talked to him about the grace of God, led him to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, my point is that who's responsible for that man getting saved? Now, ultimately, we say God is responsible. You could say, well, the two men that led him to faith in Christ is responsible. But you could say the men that talked to him on Sunday are responsible. Or you could say that little girl who said, I wish you'd come down to my church, she's responsible. Now, here's the answer. They're all responsible. Everybody did what they were supposed to do in the moment when they were supposed to do it. And God used that to bring that man to faith and save his soul. And I said all that to say this. You may not have the gifts of somebody else. You may not be a five-talent person or a two-talent person. You may be a one-talent person like a little kid on a t-ball field. God blesses the things that you do that he blesses. If we'll be busy doing that, God's just going to keep on blessing. Let me ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. This is a powerful story of what God has done for us. And what he wants to do through us. Someday Jesus is going to return. I hope it's during my lifetime. If it's not, that's okay. But I do know that, that one day will come and I will stand before the Lord. And at that moment, I'm going to give an account 
well, what did I do with what, with what he gave me? And so are you. I just want you to think honestly. If I had to give account today for the gifts that I have and the opportunities that I've seen, what would that accounting be like? I hope it's entering to my joy, good and faithful servant. Many of you have been serving a long time. Praise the Lord for your faithfulness. Let's all pick up that mantle. Let's all be faithful. It's possible that there's someone here today that's never come to faith in Jesus Christ. Your great need today is to believe in the one who went to the cross, died for your sin, rose from the grave, the one who loves you with no end. You need to be saved. I don't know what you're waiting for. Another opportunity? Today is the day of salvation. Do it immediately. Come take our pastor by the hand and let him show you from the Word of God what you must do to be saved. There are others that need to say, you know what, I've been sitting long enough. Time to get busy again. I want to serve the Lord right here and be a part of what the Lord's doing as he blesses Glendale Church. I pray you'll do it today. Father, I thank you for your word and its truth. I pray that it's been clear. And I pray that every blood-bought child of God would take serious the call to just get busy doing what we can do for the kingdom's sake. God, help us to just wash out all the excuses from our mouth and just get busy. Lord, we love you and we praise you for what you've done in our lives and in our church. Continue to move, and we'll give you the praise for it all. If I ask it in Christ's name, amen.